0: Welcome to episode number 274 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill.
1: I'm Ryan. And I'm Michael.
0: And on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to talk about what makes a good beginner distro. Then we're gonna talk about Endeavor OS's latest release. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and more coming up right now on Destination Linux to keep those penguins marching.
1: Just a quick reminder for everyone, if you have not subscribed to the new Destination Linux channel, you need to do that to get new episodes of the video version of the podcast. And if you are a person who is listening to the audio-only version, just go ahead and subscribe anyway. When it's us boost that number up for the subscriptions. Do it now. Subscribe now. right now. 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 I mean now. right now.
0: And smash that bell fam. Fam.
2: <laughs> <laughs> bell, fam. Nice, Jill.
1: Nice. Perfect. I love it.
0: So last week, I talked about some of my wonderful adventures in Linux and open source. But this week, we're going to get an update on what Ryan's been up to lately. Ryan, what have you been up to in the world of open source and Linux this week?
2: I finally got Michael to send me this beautiful piece of kit that I've been waiting on, the Majaro UM700 Mini PC. And Majaro and Mini Forum sent this to us, sent this to the show. Michael got it first. Huge mistake. Never send stuff to Michael first. Always send it here. (laughs) And I absolutely love this mini PC. So, so far, I want to mention this thing is completely upgradable and repairable. So, it's so easy that the cover itself, like when we had Philip on, you just literally push in on the cover and it pops off. And you're inside the machine. There's no screws. There's no nothing. You just push. It releases. You can look right into the machine. From there, it comes with an ability to add a 2.5-inch drive. And that mounts on that cover that you can latch out. So I added storage immediately to it before I ever even powered the thing on. And I installed Manjaro on it, fixed all Michael's mistakes. And I have things running like a Plex server. I've done gaming on this. I have a Nextcloud server set up, and the Nextcloud server instance I have set up is a local version of Nextcloud, so that when me or my family's phones are in range of our Wi-Fi, it automatically starts uploading our photos into that as storage. So it's acting as a little mini server for media, acting as a mini server for backups, and it just runs flawlessly. I love this little machine, and it's so small and comes with a mount for the back of your monitor. It's tiny enough that you can mount it on the VESA mount on the back of your standard monitor there. Um, but just a really neat PC to have. It's got a lot of power. Now, you're not going to do high-end gaming on it. It definitely does get throttled into some of the, you know, more higher-end games and things. You're not going to be getting the high frame rates per second. But you could certainly do some light gaming and things in this, depending on what your expectations are. Sticking to 1920 by 1080, maybe medium settings and things. It does a really good job. Mm-hmm. Just overall... I love these mini PC concepts. I've had the Intel Nook as well that I've done videos on on my channel. So I'm very excited to do some videos on this device as well because I think it's an incredible little machine. But Michael, on the other hand, had this machine first and didn't have that great experience because it was not he's not ideal. as good at Linux as me. That's why. That is not at all what happened. <laughs> oh, I. what? Huh? That is not oh, at I all what happened. That's what it was. My bad. So I did have Michael's a different experience. Michael's
0: not a Biosleet hacker.
1: So uh, actually, I am
2: Sleet Saxer.
1: Yeah. So what happened was I was just testing the first out of the box experience and there was some Uh weird settings that were predefined in the configuration on the out of the box experience. That's what created some issues that I had. So like certain games would not launch if they were running Proton, they wouldn't run launch at all. I would have issues with like certain like USB devices wouldn't be detected and depending on what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, different, just different ports didn't work is what I wanted to be like. Overall, I did have a lot of value and I was really happy to see the display port was there because that's a very important thing for me. But there were some issues that I ran into and there were some usability issues uh, with the Manjaro uh, OEM approach too. And, but overall it, it worked fine. It just didn't do like all of the things that were um, told me that they would do. Right. So, cause out of the box, there was some weird bio settings and Ryan fixed those settings and then all of a sudden it's great. And I didn't know what to fix, so I just figured, mm-hmm. I don't want to break it before I give it to Ryan, so here, Ryan, you fix it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I, I think
1: what happens with some That's of this this hardware
2: when they're sending it out to individuals is you're getting a unit before it's even in, they're finished having it in production and checking everything. So I'm assuming, you know, Philip got us this device really quick that when they sent it out to the factory, it was before it had officially released, and probably they hadn't, had the quality control to go check the BIOS settings because the problem you were facing was it was underpowered in the BIOS. It was running on the absolute minimum throttled power you could run the mini PC on. And that's why when you're gaming, you're having all these issues and things. Once I went in and fixed that, everything started working perfectly there. But that makes interesting to note, if you do pick up a UM700, which I highly recommend, and Monjaro is beautiful on the machine. Make sure you check out that BIOS setting. There's a specific setting there to talk about. You can put it on automatic or you can set it to specific output for powering your CPU and the integrated GPU in there and you can up it there and have more performance out of this little device.
0: You want to give the most power you can to that little Ryzen beast.
2: Absolutely, (laughs) it's such a cute little machine. I love having it around. It takes up so little space as well. And it's sitting back there because I've been doing some gaming on it, right with the gaming chair there. But it's not all about me because this week we also have our community feedback. And this week's feedback comes from Adam who writes us to say, Hey, Destination Linux crew, I've been a listener for years now and I love the show. Well, we love you too. And I am (laughs) not a distro hopper though. In fact, I don't like that there's so many to choose from. I understand if a person or company wants to create a custom one for their specific task... The ability to do that is something that makes Linux amazing. However, I sometimes feel having too many options is what is keeping Linux back. I feel the community could focus on a select few and make them amazing and possibly easier to use for people thinking of switching. In my experience, people love choices but rarely change. With that said, I've stuck with Ubuntu for a long time. It was easy to install, worked with hardware I had on hand, and I got used to the defaults like apt. Tried a few others like Fedora Manjaro in the past, but I didn't feel like making a change or modifying defaults all that much. Thanks in part to your show, I found ways to fully support my Windows and Microsoft server users utilizing Linux. So a couple years ago, I switched my desktop to Ubuntu. My laptop stayed Windows. It was for on-site support, and I wanted it to be as compatible as possible. However, recently, I decided to take the leap, wipe Windows out from my laptop, and after hearing tons of love about Pop!OS on DLN, I figured I would try it. Long story long, I am now running Pop!OS on both my desktop and laptop. No more need for Windows as a primary OS in either machine. I keep it as a VM, Windows that is, for very few applications I may need for specific clients. I love its out-of-the-box functionality, the look, less bloat, etc. In fact, I'm now working on a way to fit a System76 laptop into my budget. Stay awesome, and thanks for all you do, Adam. Very nice email. Jill, what do you think about yeah. what Adam had to say here?
0: Oh, Adam, I just want to congratulate you on the complete switch to Linux and yeah, Pop yeah. OS. woo I actually also occasionally run some apps in a Windows VM as well. Also use Pop OS for gaming and work. And it is installed on several machines, actually, that are right behind me. Uh, one of the machines right under the unicorn back there
1: <laughs> nice. is,
0: is a Pop machine. <laughs> So, Ryan, uh, what were your thoughts on this wonderful email?
2: It was interesting when he talked about choice being an issue that he feels may hold Linux back. I've heard this sentiment a lot in the community, a lot of people thinking about this. And there's definitely a double-edged sword to the fact that we have all of this choice. So I get the opinion that maybe some of that choice is bad. But I was also thinking that, you know, the innovation comes in part from these specialty case distros. You know, you mentioned Pop! OS towards the end. And Pop! OS itself was heavily criticized when it first came out. Because people were saying the same thing about, hey, we don't need another Ubuntu-based distro out there. But, and, and a lot of people were just saying it was Ubuntu with a different theme. But Pop! OS came in and really did add in necessary changes and features that i think took ubuntu to a whole new level and some of those is the simplicity even in the installation process of the nvidia driver being separate from the amd or open source drivers and having those two different isos there which for a new user makes a lot of sense it's very easy to understand to know which one you want to pick especially if you have nvidia there so i do agree as a community we should focus on a select few to invite new users to try but I am very happy with the fact that we have all these choices because once we get those new users hooked on something, they're going to go exploring and figure out is that the thing they want to stay with or do they want to try something new? I personally enjoy randomly going out there and trying new things as long as they're rolling. They're not rolling, I promise.
0: <laughs> they're it. not rolling. Yeah. Well, you know, the beauty of Linux is in that the uniqueness and the variety of distros that we can try and play with. And it helps us learn and expand our knowledge. So, And without those, again, we wouldn't have innovation in the mainline distros. And we've even had an episode where we talked about that here on Destination Linux.
1: Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of value in the the amount of options we have. Of course, like you were saying, there's a double-edged sword aspect to it. There's not a, you know, it's not like a, one size fits all situation. but I do think that I agree with your uh, your assessment of saying like maybe we could pick like a, a, a select batch of things to recommend and focus on those as to you know recommend for beginners and stuff like that rather than covering everything because then it just becomes too much for people. And I think right. that's a really great point that, that Adam made in the in the comment and the feedback saying that you know people love change or like they love choices but don't like change. And that's a very good uh, statement. I, I wanted to reiterate mm-hmm. that one. Uh, so anyway, I'm happy to hear that you enjoyed your journey, your, your journey to Linux and also have completely switched. That is awesome. And I'm also happy that we were able to help you in that yeah, journey to Linux. Cool. So that's awesome. I mean, we'll, we love hearing from our worldwide community. We want you to get to you know your official DLN mug, fill it with some coffee, or if you must, Bubbly, I mean, I, uh, if you must... <laughs> Sit down on the nearest <laughs> stool and send us an email at comments at destinationlinux.org. If, also, if you want to join the community discussions, we have all sorts of great discussions that happen all the time, every day on the DLN forum. So join the DLN forum by going to com. And I think we should also consider covering what makes a beginner distro, you know, in a future of this you know, episode mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe in like, I don't know, three minutes, maybe three yeah. minutes we <laughs> three guess. minutes, though, not beforehand. We've got to wait yeah. three minutes in the not, future. Exactly, of course. Yeah. So, what well, are we going to cover the time for three minutes? Ooh, I got an idea. How about DigitalOcean? Because this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by <laughs> DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute Storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. Also, DigitalOcean gives you a ton of great features like predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers just love. You can also get support at every stage of growth, whether you have a team of one person or a team of a thousand people. With simple, powerful cloud computing, you can get growing at DigitalOcean. As a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, you can get started with that $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux.
0: Yeah, so we're going to be talking about what makes a good beginner distro. You know, this topic comes up regularly in the Linux community, and it's often a confusing topic for new users who are suddenly, you know, presented with dozens of options coming from Windows or macOS. And on top of those dozens of distro options are layers of additional options in the desktop environment to choose from as well. There are hundreds of desktop environments that we all love and use. So today we wanted to take some time to talk about what makes a good beginner Linux distro.
2: I think this topic is very, very important because what I see happening when people are making recommendations to new users is they seem to be making those recommendations based on their own preferences or what they personally like? Yep. Like, I know this is shocking for the community, but I'm just gonna say it here. I like Arch, but what? that's not a <laughs> great recommendation for You've never a new user. This before I know, I know it's shocking. It's a revelation
1: to people here. You, you said something that is something that's always been my problem because people think that I don't like Arch because we always have a joke back and forth about Arch. Right. And it's mostly because I don't like when people <laughs> promote Arch to beginners. That's the sole reason that I have a problem with it. Other than that, you know, have at it. It's fun. But like you were saying, that's the thing that it, it's not really for beginners. And in fact, shouldn't say not really. It's 100% not for beginners because they specifically say that themselves.
2: Yeah, and so personally, I love Arch, so maybe I want to go recommend that because I'm so fascinated with it. I love I love the customization, the capabilities. I also love OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, and that's a little closer mm-hmm. to beginner-friendly, but I think there's some things in there that we're going to talk about what makes a good beginner-friendly distro that even OpenSUSE Tumbleweed is missing. But at the end of the day, it's not about what I like personally. I think you have to think about what does that individual need in a distro for what they're doing. What is the best fit for them, not what's the thing that you've become a fanboy or fangirl, whatever, of. And that's an important thing to consider, especially when you look at Linus Tech Tips videos. We had this opportunity where we had this gigantic YouTuber coming in to do videos on Linux, and he was asking the community, what distros should we choose from? And a lot of people were throwing out there the distros they really like, but those were not the good choices for somebody who's new to Linux. And I think we have to think when we're making those recommendations, it's cool to be a fan of the distros out there and love the work the developers are doing. But I think what we have to make sure we're accomplishing as a community is not necessarily recommending that based on the sole fact that we like it. But does it actually help a new user get acquainted like we all had to? Many people we have on here start with like an Ubuntu or something like that. I know I did. And that helped me, of course, get accustomed to later on trying something a little more sophisticated.
1: Yeah, I think that's some, some great mm-hmm. some great points, and I think that the uh, the one of the things that I didn't like about the suggestions that Linus Tech Tips were getting is because they were focusing, like you said, on what was their preferences and stuff like that. And when a when a beginner who's even if even they're not fully from they're like average user type beginners, maybe they are power users on Windows, they still don't know hardly anything about Linux other than like the basics, maybe. And it's still something that when you say, when you make a suggestion, they don't know any better. So they are taking your word as this is what they should use. And that's one of the things I think we should think about it in the sense of like responsibility for our suggestions to beginners. Uh, But let's, let's talk about what, like the elements that make a good beginner distro. For me, the first thing that comes to mind is the first thing that the user interacts with, and that's the installer So we need an installer that handles things for the user and they don't have to kind of make any like complex decisions, like partitioning their drives and stuff like that. Just an installer that is focused on making sure that while a lot of people don't like this concept of just clicking next, 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 I think that the installer should have the option of clicking next, next, next.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Good point, Michael.
2: I talked about in the OpenSUSE Tumbleweed I did, which you know I love some SUSE. I mean, I'm sporting their shirt here. But one of the things in the installer that's really confusing is, for instance, the network selection. Mm. And that could throw off a new user permanently from going and installing. Let's say you recommended that as a new user, and they're just trying to get internet connected. right? Just the basic internet connection. They don't know to click in the network configurator, then click wireless, then, in, then it's going to yeah. finally give you a selection for where we're going to go because no other installer does that right at all. And then I compared that to Fedora 36, which I installed recently the beta of, and it was like three clicks to get to the complete installation process because setting up the user and stuff is post-install now. So it was literally like three clicks to be completely Go through an installation process what a awesome mm-hmm. experience for a new user trying something like that versus SUSE. and now SUSE has some really powerful features in its installer but you can tell it's geared towards somebody who already knows networking already knows linux versus what fedora's experience was is hey this is for someone regardless whether you're experienced or not you're going to be able to get the thing done really quickly and move on Now, there's always the ability to add additional complexity in, but those features are kind of behind the scenes from a user who's just wanting to install a distro and start getting uh, acquainted with their new operating system.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great point. I mean, there's I mean, I haven't installed Fedora in a while. I've been using the same install for a while, so I don't, I don't I haven't seen the latest version of 36, but I'm looking forward to trying that because that does sound awesome. But the the thing about this is that some distributions have a very complicated installation process. And I think that the ability to do this is valuable, but it shouldn't be the only thing that you can do. So with some distributions, they have an installer that allow you to click like an advanced tool or go into Mm -hmm. partitioning yourself and then choose the layout you want. And that's great. But when you're a beginner, you essentially have no idea what any of this stuff means. So any installer that doesn't cater to those people are just going to make it so confusing that they're going to stop and maybe even give up completely and not even bother to look up stuff. Because, I mean... When I look at the installation and it starts asking for partition and I think about the fact that someone who's never even heard of the term partition in the first place and what they're going to be experiencing in there, I I wouldn't blame them if they just said, never mind, I'll go back to Windows. Yeah. And I th- and I think that's a mm-hmm. key point when people should like to consider when you're recommending something, what is the experience that they are going to be you know having? Because the experience they will have is very different from you if you already know all this stuff. That's like when I hear people say, Oh, this is insert thing is easy or the terminal is easy or you know whatever and then they and you go well why is it easy well because i already know how to use it like well of course that's why it's that's not easy yeah. that's like one that's of our quick. patrons
2: mentioned what's yeah. a swap right like a swap yes. so what's a swap sometimes partition? these installers yep. yeah. will ask you do you want to install a swap partition like i don't know what yeah. what does that mean for a new user they would have no idea that's or do you point. want a
1: swap partition or a swap file and they're like well, what's swap like yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If is if it isn't clearly laid out that the what the defaults are or what you should be doing like swap partitions, it's it, it has to be easily laid out and understood. Right. And make the defaults, you know, just uh, very easily explained on what's going on and where your first partition is going and if there's a swap partition. Honestly, you know.
1: or from a hardware <laughs> standpoint enabling Nvidia, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> sure. yeah, that'd be nice to make it easier to to on in the installation process. But and I'd also say that, yeah. you know, with that sort of stuff, I'm I think the installation process should be not even mentioning that stuff. Just do the default.
0: Just do Give it. Give them an option default. to
1: choose. But then it says, you know, we're, we're ready to go. Just click next. And I think that's the better option because you don't want to, the you know, information overload is a thing that happens in a lot of cases. and And I have a problem with that on this show where I just start talking and don't stop sometimes. Like and right <laughs> this moment. Exactly. You know, like te- right te- now. So for, but the whole point is, is that if we had a situation where the user didn't have to worry about it, it's going to be a lot better experience for them in that case.
0: For those that are especially coming from Windows that want to install Linux next to Windows and and how to go about, you know, make it easier for them to do that. Um, it's going to resize the Windows partition and make make this the Linux partition. And yeah. it's very important.
1: Yeah, that's Absolutely. an important piece that um, I mean, if someone wants to do the keeping it, the installation needs to have that as an option and not all of them do.
0: Yeah, not all of them do. Absolutely.
1: So it's interesting, one of our patrons is
2: mentioning how many new users have actually had to install a new operating system on their computer before PCs come with Windows generally, or or Macs come with Mac OS. So we are asking them from the very start to do something that most people don't have experience with doing. Now, they Mm -hmm. do have experience upgrading their machines. They have experience going through those update processes and things like that. Sometimes they probably do have experience depending on how often they use their computers, reinstalling Windows. (laughs) And that's why I honestly think when you look at some of these installers like the Fedora process installation, I think that's immediately familiar to somebody who's ever installed Windows before. It makes it very easy to do. So I think more and more people than we imagine, especially this new generation, are very familiar with their tech. They're used to flashing ROMs and things onto their phones. They're used to doing a lot more things we give them credit for probably so i would Mm -hmm. say it's becoming more likely that they are going to be comfortable with that than prior generations but it's still something to consider for sure we want to keep that process as simple as possible but there's also documentation Mm -hmm. documentation (gasps) how many times do we say like if you don't have any technical skill and you want to help contribute back to linux documentation is a place to contribute and my goodness is it needed really bad with a lot of distros? Oh out there? yeah. Absolutely.
0: We need they need those frequently asked questions desperately on all the distros yeah. <laughs> for all yeah. the questions.
1: Documentation is something so interesting because of how necessary it is, but also how very little a developer wants to do it. And it and the reason mm-hmm. I say that is because as I've been in the same situation when I'm developing something, I don't want to take the time to make documentation on what I'm making because I'm going to continue to develop it and then it might break what the documentation says and I'd have to go back and redo it all. So I think, okay, I'll just do it after I'm done with this section and then I forget and don't do it. So I think that that might be a factor in a lot of projects that you know, if someone is not a developer could come in and help, be a, a fantastic help to a developer by providing documentation. Even if you just talk with the developer and be like, hey, I will write down the stuff that you're doing, just let me know what you're doing. And then that they will kind of make it be easier for the developer as well. And I think most developers would love that. I just want to
2: mention yeah. too, that when you go to these different distros, they some of them have some documentation, but it's really hard to navigate. The pages are messy. It doesn't invite you to, un- to get to the point of what you're needing to get to. Um, but also when you do searches of problems like whatever X distro here, you mm-hmm. know need an issue or install an Nvidia driver. oftentimes you get some other site or some random YouTube video or some random forum with the answer. And the actual link to that distro's documentation may be on page seven, eight of the search results if it's mm-hmm. there at all. Now, compare that. Now, I'm not saying this is new user friendly, but compare that to Arch in which we know the documentation is beloved from the community. It's meant for more advanced users, so it's not a beginner thing, but it's meant for more advanced users. But anytime you type in Arch blah, 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 the Arch wiki is right there. It's usually the number one thing that pops up because it's actually useful to fixing the problem. Whereas the documentation for these other distros, the reason why it has no search engine optimization and no ranking at all, is because it's rarely ever actually useful. The forums are faster to get the answer than your documentation is for even standard things. And I think people need to consider that. And as a community, if you have a distro that you love, you wanna help out, that's where you're getting into the documentation would be a
1: yeah. huge help. And there are some, dis- some distributions that have uh, years old wikis like they have documentation, but they haven't updated in so long that mm-hmm. you go and look at it. not and even says, relevant. Yeah, it's like 10 years older. And, like, yeah. okay, it's probably not. You don't even bother looking into it and actually testing this stuff because there's a very good chance that it's not even using the same packages anymore. But, you know, there's another thing I want to talk about that I think that a. Beginner distro, and honestly, every distro should have something like this because I think that it'd be a a guarantee that people are going to be more likely to use the distro if you make things a better experience overall. And I think an app store is a fantastic way to improve the experience for the user, making them able to quickly install things, discover new applications, all that sort of stuff.
2: App stores are so important for discovering new software for a new user as well first thing they're going to do is probably open up and see what software came pre-installed on their machine as a new user and the second thing they're going to do is look for what new software is available for them to install and a lot of like gnome software store and things like that have like uh recommendations or editors choices and other things that distros can customize as well and add into there for picking different applications and things but having a strong app store that actually works is the key actually works to install it because how many times do you see a really polished app store and you click install and get error messages all over the place? It happens a lot more does than happen. we probably would like to admit.
0: Yeah. Excellently written welcome guide that walks you through navigation of the desktop environment uh, some distros even go into the history of Linux and what makes it special compared to Windows and Mac OS. I always appreciate when they have history as well.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Although might not be the best for a beginner to learn all that stuff all at the same time beginning. Yeah. Like welcome, well I guess you know. so. Yeah. Maybe a little hint. you <laughs> know like important. Linux came in ninety one and blah yeah. blah blah. And yeah, then a little bit all of like the stuff. oh, like the install <laughs> that have the, the kind of like the slideshows that go back and forth and they could do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. That'd yeah. be kind of cool. I would li- like and They have a picture of yeah. us. Go ahead and add us as your podcast, Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It says to subscribe to Destination Linux it's the best yes. podcast you can possibly imagine.
2: Yeah. Yes, that's exactly. a good and a welcome guide. Well, you said written, Jill, but when I think a welcome guide now, I think of the GUIs yeah. they pop up. Yeah, and installing yeah. Fedora 36 is a perfect example of this. You get the the GUI after the install to set up your name, to enable third party repository, those type of things, and then you get another one that pops up to welcome you to GNOME. And then you get to walk through a tour of Gnome so you Mm -hmm. know how to navigate around. What a great experience for new users to have that. Yeah. yeah. Ubuntu
0: Mate does it beautifully as well. Oh, yeah. I think they were one of the
1: first. I'm not sure if they were the first, but they were really early on that process. Yes. And I think a lot of distros... I think, okay, app stores, every distro would benefit from having one. Welcome guides, every distro needs one. Yeah. (laughs) Needs it. So if you don't have one, make one. Or... You know we're in an open source ecosystem. Just contact the distros that have the one you like and ask them if you can use it. How about that?
2: <laughs>
1: now here's one I'm going to mention,
2: Michael. Simple bug reporting. Yeah. Simple bug reporting. Simple That's being a great a key because I great know one. a bunch of developers are out there. Like, oh, we have bug reporting. All you have to do is go create a Bugzilla account. Then when you log in, then search in there and try to find somebody else that has the issue. And if you don't see it, then open it and then go create some logs and attach those logs and these things you've never heard of before. And the logs are going to be in some random place that you're going to have to access through the terminal and then download those and try to find them. And hey, can you give us the logs from your first boot as well? And you get this it's bad. It's really, really (laughs) bad out there. Like we
1: need simple
2: bug reporting tools.
1: Ryan, you forgot a very key component to this: is that you also need to know what the packages are called and what pa- components there are inside of those packages. Uh, yeah. yeah, I agree that we <laughs> need to make it more simple because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of great value that the developers get from the bug reports, but it's so complicated that the people don't want to do them. As some, like I know we've all had this experience. I had it just yesterday, where I was talking about a bug. That I experienced, and I just did a workaround instead. And I've been doing it for the past couple of weeks for DL because I experienced it during the production process a few weeks ago. And when I, I just said, okay, well, I can't use that right now. I'll go, and I'll I'll do the bug report later. And then I was talking to someone yesterday, and I happened to bring that up, and they said, Did you submit a bug report? I, ah, uh, no, no, I, mm. I, I, I didn't. But I'm a bit guilty myself. But, um, yeah, it's just because even though we're experienced users, it's not a great experience to do it, mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's not a great experience. It's not oftentimes, depending on who you get to look at your bug report, it's just gets shut down and you don't get people to look at it. So if a lot of people aren't experiencing it, you have unique hardware things, it'll be hard to get fixed. But I think a simple bug reporting tool, some distros have this, they have made it much easier to report these issues Uh, And those are the ones where I think that creates a much more friendly user environment because we want to start people with the right habits. And bug reporting is one of those things that every developer says they need more of. Of course, they need more people to help fix the bugs, too. But we definitely need more bug reporting, especially in beta and things. But to do that, let's make it easier on the users. Because a lot of times when you run into a bug, it's in the middle of you doing something in production, so the times I can think of that I haven't opened a bug is because I'm busy trying to fix the thing so that I can do the work that I need to do to begin with. I don't have time yeah. to log into accounts <laughs> and pull logs and do all of this stuff and write up every experience of when it happens and how it happens. And I know that data can be necessary, but sometimes it would be easy just to open that bug and then go back later and add in some of those details and things. So if we make that process simpler mm-hmm. while still providing some of the back traces and things that are needed as part of the automated process, I think it would help create a new group of new users who are opening more bugs and reporting more issues and thinking about
1: that stuff. Yeah, absolutely.
2: For me though, when I think about a good beginner-friendly distro, this is where I've tended to be completely different than a lot of people in the Linux community because I don't find distros that don't have good hardware support new user-friendly, and I don't think we should list them as new user-friendly. Sure. The hardware support is very important in my mind. Technical issues, failures, glitches. People were going to abandon ship so fast over that. And a lot of cases, it's actually not because this hardware isn't supported, but because that distro doesn't yet have that support built into their specific distro. So for me, these distros that are very slow to do hardware enablement and things are not user-friendly, especially for new users who are coming in which aren't necessarily coming in with just old hardware. Yes, there are those two. We've got a lot of new users who are interested because of the Steam Deck in Linux because of gaming. And have you seen the comments, by the way, on people who get the Steam Deck who are not Linux people talking about how much they love KDE and the desktop experience? It's been amazing. We have a whole influx of new users who unknowingly are falling in love with Linux. And then when they put this in desktop mode, I mean, through the gaming, and then when they put it in desktop mode, they're like, I'm in love with this operating system. What is this thing? It's Linux. So now they want to put it on their desktop. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've got this distro that hasn't updated its hardware in 12 months, the enablement drivers, and they can't get anything to work, that love is going to quickly dissipate. So I think hardware support is very important.
0: And I also feel that a strong and friendly community and a place for people to go and get help without judgment or ridicule, ridicule a good form or a good good form of communication, whether it be on Matrix, on Telegram, on Discord, just a, a, a place where you can go and easily ask questions. It's, it's definitely something we need. And Absolutely. some of my favorite distros fit that criteria, like Ubuntu Mate, Linux Mint, Pop OS, like we talked about uh, in the community feedback, and elementary OS. So, yeah. But there are others, too. But those are some of my favorites for uh, strong, a representation of a strong and friendly community. Yeah, I think, that's
1: a, I think that's a great point. We need to have definitely uh, like the communities that we uh, the distros that we promote should be the ones that are most welcoming to the people who are wanting to be beginners because they're not yeah. going to know a lot of the information. So if you suggest something that is like a power user level, they might have an interaction that makes them not go not stay on Linux at all. They're like, oh, Linux is like this and I don't want to use this. You know, If yeah. you have a community that actually understands that you wanna be welcoming, I think that's one of the key points that, that should always be a, associated to a beginner distro.
2: Yeah. For a lightning round, what are some other things that we think are needed for a good beginner distro? Because a lot of distros try to be beginner friendly. So I'm hoping the developers will listen to this and be like, oh, those are some good ideas and things we need. Default software, good communication, a strong roadmap, codecs, Mm-hmm. codecs are kind of important. Like you got yeah. this new user going in there. They go type in <laughs> twitch.tv and then say, oh, error, we can't play your video. They go to Amazon Prime. Oh, can't play your video. Go to YouTube. Oh, can't play your video because you ain't got the codecs or you can't play your own movies. Not a very welcoming experience. To That's a new true. User.
1: I think that if the installation, like the welcome guide, had the ability to do the codex, they wouldn't have to necessarily be installed by default because there are some issues with that in terms of like licensing yeah. and whatnot. But having that, making it easier, that would be fantastic. I also want to add in a visual polish because my, a lot of people don't Absolutely. think that this really matters, but I think it matters a lot because I would say this associates to the idea of first, first impressions matter a lot. And if it looks good when they use it, it also make them consider it a better product. If it's a g- ma- magnificent masterpiece of technology and development, but it looks dated, then it's going to have the the impression of it being dated, even if the code is modern. So, yeah. to consider visual polish as a part of your efforts to be making a distro. You know, if you're looking for a beginner, uh, inv- a beginner audience, but also if you're just looking for people who are interested in using something that's modern because these days most dip most distros are in that phase of you have to have 64-bit you have to have a modern computer so let's make them look modern too so when you think
2: of beginner level distros michael you've got things like ubuntu comes to mind immediately right we've all sure. so many people started on ubuntu elementary pop os Zorin. These are ones that immediately come to mind for a lot of people when they think of a beginner distro. But Absolutely. I've got a question because I know Neil specifically has turned you into a Fedora fanboy. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that because Fedora kicks some serious butt. But do you think, in all honesty, that Fedora qualifies now as a beginner distro? And I want to I want to say the reason I'm asking is I'm seeing it a lot on social media and Reddit and other places of people saying Fedora is now the new king crowned for beginner distro. So a lot of people are starting to recommend it as the beginner distro
1: of choice. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I do think that it's a very applicable question to this topic because we've talked about Fedora Uh, already in terms of like the installation process and a lot of other Mm -hmm. cool things that they do have that beginners would love like the welcome tour is fantastic that they have that i do think that fedora has the potential to be a beginner distro i don't know if i would say that it is completely ready right now to give that stamp of approval because of only a couple things there's basically some issues with GNOME extensions not being there by default, and you have to kind of go through some hoops to activate the extensions and then inst- install some specific things that people will expect, like top icons or the app indicators, those things for the system tray. They're going to expect right. that. Then they're also like, there's some different repos that you need access to, and you get to activate those as well, just like the Flat Hub or RPM Fusion. So once you have those things done, I would say absolutely it's beginner friendly. But without those things done which is the default out of the box experience i'd say that's it's, it's like 95% there maybe even more so mm-hmm. but it's like my thing the thing i love about fedora is that once i installed it i've not had any issues with upgrades i've not had any like worry that i'm going to run an upgrade and then all of a sudden my system's going to break like that's kind of crazy to me because as someone who's not even just a linux user but like just operating system computer user period Having an update is both exciting and terrifying most times. So, if the other pieces that we're talking about, that extra five percent, was there, it's a no-brainer to me that I would say Fedora is the best beginner distro just outright. But because it doesn't have those things, I I I can't really say that without. So, what's the one you do
2: recommend right now if you got a new user coming? Obviously, you're probably the thing you should do is ask people what's your use case. I always but ask some of for the a software use you use, your computer. But in general, which one do you find yourself that meets most people's use cases most often?
1: Well, I'm gonna cheat and say I don't have a single particular one because
2: oh, you're I, just come no, on. I,
1: there isn't. <laughs> there, it, it's not. It's you're not a practical dog. thing. It depends on what they need. If they some need person. the latest hardware, I would probably say maybe Papa West. Or maybe even Fedora, because if they need the latest hardware, I would kind of like guide them towards like, okay, here's how to fix those pieces. And then once it's there, you're, you're good. Uh, I should make a video about how to make Fedora beginner friendly. Now, next. Perfect. Let's say Zorin is a good example of someone who wants a distribution that kind of just gets out of the way and does like the the fundamentals of what you expect. I'm comfortable with Zorin. I'm comfortable with most of the Ubuntu flavors. Uh, And I'd also put in an honorable mention for an elementary, of course. And I think that um, specifically, Ubuntu Budgie is a pretty solid beginner distro. I think Mm -hmm. as one of the flavors, it's pretty solid. Hmm.
2: For me, my friends have three choices. It's Arch, OpenSUSE, or Fedora. If you do not choose (laughs) one of those, then I can't be your friend and the discussion's over automatically. But Jill, what do you say about the Fedora I'm kidding by the yeah. way for all the hate mail that's about coming. What do you say about Fedora being a beginner-friendly distro?
0: Well, I think Michael actually nailed it. It's just that that like like 5% that we need that we that needs to improve to make it beginner-friendly. And one is it definitely needs better Nvidia support, especially regarding Wayland, but I know that is coming. Uh, they they're we're working heavily on that and i know probably within the next year a lot of those issues are going to be resolved
1: the thing about Mm -hmm. nvidia with fedora is that the support's always been there for i mean for years they've had like they get the updates faster than anybody pretty much Mm. um but the problem is is that in order to get them it's kind of in a hidden away a little bit depending on and if you get a different spin than the main workstation spin it might be more difficult to find where the things are so
0: that that is true, and Nvidia um, actually finally made made their uh, drivers fully conformant yes. for Wayland, and that was yes. kind of the final final straw on the camel's back. We needed yeah. that support. Well done, Nvidia. Fedora. It only took
1: you multiple yeah. years, but it happened. I mean, the whole problem was
2: because of you. But sure,
1: also yeah, well true. Done. But but thank you for fixing your own mistake.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you know, and having the NVIDIA drivers actually work out of the box, like Pop! OS beautifully does, would be great for all users. But I do understand that Fedora doesn't want to include proprietary drivers by default. Right. But at least an easier way of installing them is all beginners really need and all any user really needs. It's just an easier way.
1: Yeah, and I think that the way that the workstation one does it is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Like, the other ones don't have it as clean as an experience, the other spins yeah. or whatever. But the workstation one is, is pretty good. Yeah. Uh,
0: there's also a problem. Like, like for me, I, I, I had a Fedora machine that I went from an AMD GPU to NVIDIA GPU. And the first thing I have to do in that case is log out and enable the XORG server instead of Wayland because there will be issues but yes. <laughs> trying to boot Wayland you'll get a black screen or kernel panic. <laughs> it's, yeah. just, yep. it's a thing.
1: <laughs> Nvidia well, having Nvidia hardware is kind of problematic in a lot of distributions so, I've yeah. cl- just clarified. It's not a Fedora-specific thing. It's just an NVIDIA thing. So some distros kind of compensate. But, but they're getting yeah. better.
2: It's all getting better they there. Definitely. But I think Pop! OS has found a good solution having two different ISOs. I think that yeah, was a brilliant solution in that Pop case. OS. And, yeah. yeah, very easy for people to understand. I will tell you that installing Fedora 36 beta, it's in beta, so keep that in mind if you want to go follow these tracks. But the fact that you can enable third-party repositories during install like that... It's not that I know that hasn't been there for other variations, but I just love that it's right there in the welcome guide as you're setting it up. You don't have to go into the store. At one point in Fedora, I think you had to go into the GNOME store and then you had to click repositories and then you had to check mark them. But now it asks you like right at the beginning in the install if you want to do that. I think they've done so much amazing work to make that easier and easier for new users through their welcome guide, which like I mentioned earlier is so well done. Now, the bug reporting tool that they have built in I think has limited functionality, meaning I couldn't see a way to open a ticket unless the system automatically detects there's an error there, and then you can use their, what is it, ADBR or AD uh, ABRT,
1: ABRT. Yeah, you mm-hmm. could R-T use Advanced. that tool bug if reporting. your
2: system finds a bug and there was an error there, but I couldn't find a way to open a new ticket on something that may my system may not have recognized Otherwise, you have to go through Bugzilla, and Bugzilla is just not user-friendly. And anybody who argues otherwise has probably just been using Bugzilla for five years. So yeah, sure, it's easy for you, but anybody else, it's not user-friendly to open a
1: bug in Bugzilla. Even if it's someone who's experienced, it's not either. I tried to do that uh, (laughs) many times in the past couple weeks or so and i always look at it and go man this just a lot uh, it's a lot to yeah. fill out for something i just i just want to tell you an issue i had i, I you know you're, you're making me try to figure out what component Ain't nobody got time for of that it, you know yeah. yep
2: and then and then the last thing i'll say that would make fedora is the codex again yeah. uh, i installed fedora 36 open twitch.tv guess what i saw A big fat error message that can't play. Is that Twitch's fault? A hundred percent. But a new user doesn't care. They want to use, go in there and use the stuff they're used to utilizing. They want to be able to go play Amazon prime videos. They want to go be able to play Netflix. 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 They want to go do this stuff. So you can't just sit on this mountain and die on it. And I know (laughs) there are restrictions for this. There are problems with these licenses and stuff. And, it's an issue that like they had to work around the NVIDIA thing with some really clever options that I think have to be figured out with the codecs. Because when I typed in the solution for it, which I knew because I've been in Linux long enough, when I typed it in to see what a new user would go through, the first search result to fix it with Twitch specifically was to do a pseudo DNF Dash Y install HTTPS download RPM Fusion org freedom free release RPM dash E Fedora no arch dot RPM mm-hmm. and then do another DNF dot install non free or release RPM big giant hey, well, Ryan, thing I'm and then this do it
1: down. What did you say? Yeah, start over. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and then do a DNF Y install FFMPEG, mm-hmm. then do FF a MPEG. DNF Y install FFMPEG <laughs> development yeah. and then reboot your machine and then you can play a video like this. Come on, come on, yeah.
1: So I I understand that that's a problem, but there's there's easier ways to do it, and I do think yes, that like that's there, the first search result. That is the first search search for sure. But the the thing that I want to say is that it it sounds like we're bashing Fedora. What we're actually saying is that Fedora is so close to, to being, in my opinion, I'm gonna just put it out there, so close to being the ideal distro, like to, to being the one to go to, because It does all the other fundamentals so well. And it does the, like, it makes it so you can feel comfortable with using your system.
2: I'm going to one up you on there. I actually think Fedora is the greatest distro in Linux right now, bar none. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I truly Uh, believe that. And so when I talk about, when we talk about these things, it's that this beginner part is a very specific niche we're talking about because I want everybody to experience what Fedora is doing. As somebody who loves Arch, as somebody who loves OpenSUSE Tumbleweed and loves all these distros, I think Fedora is probably the greatest distro out there in Linux right now, in my opinion. They
0: are are progressing Linux. You know, Pipewire included, uh, Wayland Default, ButterFS. I mean, the list goes on and on. And what they are doing for Linux is amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: It really is.
1: I think that that's a fantastic point. And I I do genuinely agree with you, Ryan, that it is the best distro like without question it's the, the only reason that i would say that it's not ideal for everyone is because of the beginner parts if yep. those beginner parts were fixed it's in my opinion ideal for everyone even mm-hmm. even experienced users because i enjoy messing around with my fedora install and doing all sorts of weird configurations and stuff but you don't have to like that's one of the great things about you fedora. know i won't yeah you won't for you sure you know i'll
2: leave it default all you the will way not through. customize
1: a single thing absolutely <laughs>
2: yeah. maybe, maybe the wallpaper yeah. i'll change the wallpaper Also, I want to mention, you know, we talked about a lot of great stuff and I'm hoping any of the distros who want to target new users and things look at this and there are distros that don't want new users. Arch is a perfect example to tell you right from the start in the Arch wiki. This is not for new users. Um, So, some distros don't want that. They don't want those users. But those who want to target it, we talked about documentation, simple bug reporting, welcome guides, those things. But accessibility has to be in there as well. Accessibility is extraordinarily important. We hear a lot about this from our community, send us a lot of feedback and emails talking about having good documentation and accessibility tools that are available for the install and then afterwards but for the installs where i see uh, it missed a lot and i think there's a lot of work that needs to happen in the accessibility realm uh, as well for a beginner distro.
1: Yeah, i love that that you bring out, you brought up your broad accessibility. That's a very important thing that a lot of people don't think about because they don't have any any disabilities or need for accessibility tools, so they don't even they don't even it doesn't ca- cross their mind to even consider testing for it. So yeah. I think the more we can bring a, attention to that thing, maybe the distributions developers would be more aware that they need to test those things.
0: Yeah, like like bringing Orca into the installer. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: oh
1: yes,
0: so that it can it can walk someone who's visually impaired through the installation process.
2: Yeah, yeah be and Windows and macOS have extraordinarily good accessibility options and documentation, and we hear this a lot from the community as well that this is yeah. a huge. Failure point. So if you have the skill set, you're a developer. You're somebody who wants to work in documentation and things. This is a great way to give back in Linux in an area we especially need help in because we're superior in nearly everything else. But mm-hmm. accessibility is something we need some work in. But you know what is super beginner friendly, Jill? Like the most what? beginner friendly thing in the world, Bitwarden, of yes. course. Passwords. Bitwarden is for everybody. It's <laughs> built to be user-friendly. It is the best password manager in the world. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN. A password manager helps you have peace in mind knowing that your online accounts are secure and safe. Bitwarden provides you the tools to store all your passwords in a secure vault, auto-generate those passwords for you with a click of a button, and even automatically fill in your passwords for you in login forms. It's as beginner-friendly, as beginner friendly can absolutely be. You can access your data across all of your devices, web browsers, mobile apps, desktop applications, even command line. Use Mac OS, Linux, and Windows. It works on all of those. It doesn't matter. It works on everything. Bitwarden is everywhere. It seals and encrypts your private data with end encryption before it ever leaves your device so you know you're the only person with access to your data. The best part is you can get started for free by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. But if you want to support them because they're awesome and amazing, you could just spend $10 a year. That's all they're asking. All this inflation and everything going on, now with Bitwarden, only $10 a year. And it's been $10 a year since we've been doing these ads. One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, priority customer support, all of that for $10 a year. Head right now to bitwarden.com slash DLN. And a huge thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. In our news this week, we have to talk about something that's arch-related. I feel like you guys completely dominated the whole conversation earlier about beginner-friendly. I had no input that I could actually have in the entire discussion. I, I'm so, pretty sure
1: I heard you talk. No, I didn't talk in that one time. Not, oh, not once. Really? Wow! I yeah. just imagined your voice. A yeah, lot, I don't know anything about
2: beginner-friendly stuff. <laughs> so we're gonna bring something not beginner-friendly in, but super amazing and that's endeavor os endeavor os has been doing some incredible things michael i have endeavor os on my hp laptop and i have just i put it in there on kind of like a whim because i was like what's endeavor been up to lately and i'm just in love with it it is super stable it is super beautiful and the things that they're doing with their latest release apollo like firewall d being enabled by default a new GUI app created by Dalto that helps you choose and install the most common and helpful apps on there. They've got a really nice welcome guide and startup screen to help you do the customizations and things you wanna do from the beginning. New apps to help with Nvidia installation, Jill, you talked about that being a a big deal. They're making it easy as possible, including with Bumblebee and Prime setups. So if you have hybrid Mm. graphics and you need to switch between the two, Their new app program allows you to switch and add in these features easier than ever and install your NVIDIA drivers. There's so many cool things that they're doing in Endeavor. Michael, I know it's too complicated for you to install Endeavor, but Jill, have you ever checked out Endeavor?
0: Yeah, so I've actually been using Endeavor when it was uh, back in beta on one of my old ThinkPads, and I love it. I keep uh, updating Endeavor on that ThinkPad. It, it's actually my favorite Arch-based distro, and it is one I can re- recommend a new user to Arch to use. <laughs> a new user I, to
2: Arch.
1: I yes. love that. <laughs> I like yeah. that. Very clear. But, new user to Arch, not yes. New user to Arch. <laughs> yes.
0: And I also love the new Apollo uh, mission wallpaper, uh, Apollo space mission wallpaper. It's really very beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah. And, I think the, uh, the
1: the the wallpaper <laughs> stuff. They whoever the artist is for doing that. Like there's yes. one that's like the the photo of the astronaut. and There's also one that's a custom design, and they're like that's very yeah. nice. So well done. Very
0: nice. Their theming is top-notch, and they have a really good artist taking care of the the colors and the icons and the look and feel of the OS. And I just love how elegant and nimble the OS is. So, yeah. so fast. And I actually just started using the Window Manager Worm. And I'm loving how lightweight and quick it is, and switching between uh, floating windows and tiling is actually really easy.
2: <laughs> I love that you've already tried this out. I saw it oh, in the yeah. release notes for Apollo like... that they had this new that was developed by the community, a new uh, yeah. window manager called Worm, and it just looks like something fun to play with. It's written in Nim. It's based and it works in X11. I don't think they have any plans to port it to Wayland. So. You know, it's just something fun to probably play around with, or maybe even in a virtual machine if you wanted to check it out. Um, But it's kind of cool that the community's that involved with Endeavor. It's a really nice community as well. The Endeavor community Mm -hmm. is awesome.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Awesome. The Endeavor community is one of the things that I'm a big fan about, the distribution. And, well, Ryan earlier said that I wouldn't be able to Install figure out how to install Endeavor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to clarify to him that I actually used to work on the project that predates Endeavor OS. So just to kind of flex a little bit, Ryan. But the part key
2: is you said used to work. Is it because no. that project,
1: <laughs> because you couldn't figure out how to install it, so they kicked you off the team, or because the project doesn't exist anymore?
2: Oh, okay. Because
1: uh, I used Michael to be on. A, is
0: schooling you, Ryan?
1: I used oh. to be a part of the community team uh, and the development a little bit, not much, but a little bit of the uh, the making Intergos, the operating system that no longer exists, but it is the predecessor to Endeavor OS. All right. You got some chops on you. All right. I have a little bit of, of experience, a little bit. But, experience chops. So I also, <laughs> um, when they announced that they were going to make Endeavor West, I immediately went to them and said, here's my opinions and suggestions of what I think Entergos did fantastic, and what I think they could improve on, and here is what I would hope that you would take from my experience, and they took basically everything that I suggested and made it so much more improved than what I was hoping it to be, and... I'm not to say I have no not taking any credit for Endeavor OS. I do not work on that project, but I was so happy that they were so receptive to my input, especially from being from ex, you know experienced of the other project, and yeah. you know they were so welcoming of that feedback and to see that well, they the took only that feedback to heart, you gave
2: them. I remember that they denied entirely was you wanted them to have a whole selection of stool wallpapers. And they told you, absolutely not, but all your other ideas were fantastic. I remember that email. That's, a, but... that's an
1: interesting, that's an interesting memory you have of something that did not happen considering this conversation with Endeavor was years before that whole stool thing happened. Oh, but it okay. is interesting that you remember it so vividly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it <laughs> happened. But I think Endeavor OS is, is fantastic. And I actually do agree that it's my favorite Arch-based distribution because mm-hmm. you essentially get the core part of Arch you get that benefit of the compatibility. You get the, you know, access to everything that you you want to for the arch, but you also get the really easy installation. And mm-hmm. what I love about Endeavor also is that they are not focused on being like a beginner friendly arch. And to be right. clear, nothing Arch-based is beginner-friendly, in my opinion.
2: Well, one of our patrons mentioned Clippy. If you add Clippy in the Arch, then it becomes beginner-friendly immediately. If we get... <laughs> and that is open source. I stand too, corrected
1: right now. Yes, I stand corrected. Just add
2: Clippy in there, the little paper, Microsoft paperclip <laughs> guy, and all problems yep. will be solved. Because if you get confused and something breaks, you just ask
1: Clippy. Exactly. Yeah. Clippy solves all problems. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and also Clippy's open source now, so we could totally include it. It'd be 100%. fantastic. So uh, I, I stand corrected as soon as Clippy is installed. <laughs> well, anyway, I do think Endeavor OS is pretty awesome. And uh, I, I think that if, uh, if someone wants to try out Arch, it's a good way to get like a stepping stones approach. And that's also one of the things mm-hmm. they wanted to do. They wanted to help people kind of get used to Arch, but not have to go through the um, the entirety of the experience of Arch well, listen, the first yeah. time. sometimes it's I don't good feel balance. like installing Arch and I've done it a yeah. thousand times. I just,
2: endeavor. that's, how Endeavor ended up on the HP laptop. I was like, eh, I don't feel like installing it. Just install Endeavor. And it's so minimal too, that yep. it's so close to that Arch experience yeah.
1: anyway. It's, and I love the fact ha- that you get multiple yeah. DE options and window manager options. And they exactly. don't customize most of the things. It's all vanilla in most cases. It's you know. yeah. as close to Arch like as you can get. I installed the Worm
0: yeah. option, the the yep. new version Worm, and you're so right, Michael. It's that it has that nice balance of ease of use, but letting the user learn along the way. Mm-hmm. And I've just I love that about Endeavor.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think Endeavor is a solid option for people who want to learn Arch, but don't want to. You know, they want to put the, they want to dip their toes in, not dive yeah. all the way in first.
0: <laughs> yes. Our wonderful Matt from GameSphere is going to be doing a 24-hour charity game stream again, but this time for CURE, Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy. It's a nonprofit organization based in Chicago, Illinois. So Matt's charity game stream will start on June 20th at 9 a.m. and go 24 hours. And he has to stay there twenty-four hours.
2: <laughs> He's done it before. He's I done couldn't it do it this. Like physically. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. I love sleep so much. Does anybody else uh, love sleep as much as I love sleep? I don't know if it's just because yeah. I have little kids still. So sleep is like this treasure, this golden light at the end of a tunnel that rarely <laughs> ever happens for me between my oh, job my podcasting and and kids. Sleep is like, oh. So the idea of doing 24 hours just physically hurts me. But I love Matt. He's so dedicated to charities and trying to get money raised for charities that he continues to abuse himself. Because if you don't know, Matt works insane hours in his real life job. He works so hard, so many overnights and everything else. I guess that's why he can do these 24-hour things. But the fact that he keeps volunteering, we're not asking him to. Yeah, we're not as his abusive ideas. as you all think. <laughs> yeah. This is his idea to do this 24-hour stream. I-, I think it's amazing. Please mark it on your calendars, June 20th at 9 a.m. to go support Matt for charity for a good purpose there. It's just awesome what he's doing.
0: Yeah, and it, depending on how much you donate, you might actually get him to play Among Us. So we can all play among us together on his stream.
2: <laughs> I like how Tegan just said. I mean, Ryan probably is as abusive as we think. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks Tegan. Appreciate that.
0: <laughs> so speaking of games, this week we're gonna we're checking out a free and open source game you can probably get right now in your distros repository, or right off FlatHub, or on the GitHub page, as as I did with an app image. The game is called Endless Sky and describes itself like this. Endless Sky is a 2D space trading and combat game similar to the classic Escape Velocity series. Explore other star systems, earn money by trading, carrying passengers, or completing missions, or leave human space behind and hope to find friendly aliens whose culture is more civilized than your own.
2: Sounds like my real life mission. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, the endless sky is is been so much fun. I've I've put about twenty minutes into it so far, and yes, it's a space exploration and combat game, but it's combined with awesome action and role playing elements, and it has a really nice story. So don't expect to just immediately go in and start uh, fighting with your spaceship. <laughs>
2: The, yeah, when I saw little, the screenshots yeah. for it, I was like, a "Cool <laughs> space pew pew game." I'm all about pew pewing a bunch of asteroids and ships and stuff. But when I got into it, I realized like there's a lot of deep story. So you start off, yeah. and it starts off with the text on the side to kind of get you into the story, and then you do your first exploration, and you're kind of a lot of it is very story driven. So if you like those type of games, then this is the game for you. If you're somebody who just wants to get in there and pew pew. And probably not the best game for you, but it's really cool and it's free and open source. So go check it out, mm-hmm. like right from your distro's repository, probably. Another good option for you in our software spotlight is Hydra Paper. Now, this mm-hmm. is made by a friend of the show, Gabmus of Tech Pills. We've had Gabmus on in the past on the show. So if you want to go check out the interviews there, but Hydra Paper is a wallpaper manager specifically designed to work around the lack of functionality of many desktop environments that only allow you to have one single wallpaper. Now you can have wallpapers for every single monitor in multi-monitor setups It accomplishes this by scaling and merging different wallpapers into one single one and setting it as span. So it's a really kind of unique hack to get around the one wallpaper for all of your monitor issue that happens with certain mm-hmm. desktop environments. Currently supports GNOME, MATE, Cinnamon, Budgie. And experiment support, including for the Sway window manager as well, out there. Michael, you have this problem in KDE ever?
1: No? Sometimes there are some issues in KDE with the different wallpapers and how they do everything. Uh, So I do kind of have to cut it up myself and that sort of stuff. But overall, I don't have that much of an issue with it. But I do think that because I have such a weird, wonky setup with my monitors, I don't expect. The wallpapers to fit properly because when you have a a wallpaper of a stool, it's hard to get it centered, right? (laughs) Oh no, that's that's perfect. Here's what I'm saying: like if you have a multi monitor wallpaper, then you're trying to expand it across multiple these monitors. What if your monitor is landscape and the other one is vertical?
0: Yes, that's where there's issues.
1: That creates a big problem. So what I do is I have a really fancy, uh, you know, wallpaper of you know just a landscape of a nice ocean breeze and that sort of stuff. And then on the, the left side I have the vertical monitor which is just completely a giant stool it's a photo of this stool right <laughs> here and it's Beautiful. all of its glory just Beautiful. right there so I can I can just it, no matter what direction I'm looking in this room I always see the stool yeah, we see it's the so stool. important for or proper just, productivity I love Aww. it I love it So let me yeah. real quick I have a question about this so I think I misheard something so the the purpose of this application is to create a wallpaper for each monitor separately yeah is that what it is mm-hmm. yeah oh okay so no plasma but doesn't have that default it that has a, does a default. that by stitching it together yeah it uh, stitches I, it I asked together kde one... because i know kde yeah.
2: allows you to just you can just do that by each monitor and change yeah. to the wallpaper you want so yeah
1: yeah so it's okay though it's okay michael i mean that's why i never had the need for it because i have plasma. i think it's punishment
2: you it. should have to use my face as a wallpaper for the next six <laughs> weeks but it's just <laughs> i think that's yeah, too extreme so Actually, I, I, I think that's too I,
1: extreme. Extreme.
0: <laughs> I wish I had hydro paper for window maker. That would be extreme. Because <laughs> I need it in window maker.
2: <laughs> now, Michael, I feel like you already gave us a tip of the week make our wallpaper a picture of a stool. But do you have another tip
1: of the week to share with us too? I do have a tip of the week this week, and there are times that you may want to change the default sudo timeout. So for those who don't know what this means, this is when you have to enter the password for your sudo, and you you do commands that give you elevated privileges, and sometimes you need those for a variety of reasons, like using apt or DNF or whatever. Installing software. Installing software, yep. And then having to insert your password again when you kind of like 30 minutes later, you want to go in and do the same process, but you're like, oh, I gotta enter it again. Well, you don't have to technically. You could change the timeout because the timeout is basically by default 15 minutes. So if you do something else that requires sudo within the 15 minutes, it won't ask you again. But you can also go in and change that timeout to whatever you want it to be. Now, I wouldn't suggest making it super long. Because that would kind of defeat the purpose of having sudo. So, you go to suit, you in your command line, you just type in sudo v sudo or v i s u d u s u d o. And this will allow you to open up an application. This purpose is to configure the sudoers file. And you can search for the entry that is something like a default timestamp underscore timeout equal x. We'll have it in the show notes for actually being able to search for it. And if it's not there, you can manually enter it and then change the X into a number that you want it to be. So if you want it to be five minutes, you can set it to five minutes. You want it to be 35 minutes, you can set it to 35 minutes, whatever you want to do. Or you can set it to zero if you're for, if you want to require a password every single time that you run sudo, it will be, uh, it'll give you a little, little bit of extra security if you want to do that, but it also might be a little annoying depending on how many times you need to use sudo. So keep that in mind. So if you don't wanna mess with any of this stuff, there's also good to know that you can use vSudo to edit sudoer files for other reasons because there's many other options you can do there
2: yeah. too. So in our announcements this week with events, just real quickly, because we're out of time here. For April, you've got FOSS North to go check out, Linux Fest Northwest to go check out, Penguicon, Grazer Linux Tage and Linux App Summit all happening in April. We cover them in the prior episode in full detail with dates and everything. If you want more information, you can check that out. But until then, a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux, however you do it. We love your faces. And we're recording this week on this Friday because it's Easter mm-hmm. Sunday. And so if you celebrate Easter, happy Easter. If you don't celebrate heat easter happy cadbury discount day and what are the other things the little marshmallow Peeps. things people get Peace. yes this is your time to go get a bunch of easter candy on discount so either way that's why we're <laughs> recording on friday and we'll see you all next sunday on the dln at 1 p.m eastern as usual
1: we also have our glorious patrons that get perks like unedited versions of the show. They also get to hang out in the patron only post show and the 60,000 square foot digital stadium that happens every week after the show. And also this show where they got to watch it live as we recorded it for the patrons only recording because of the Easter Sunday or Cadbury Egg Day discount day, as yes. Ryan described it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So go to destinationlinux.org slash Patreon if you'd like to sign up and be able to join these kinds of experiences for these sort of events that occasionally happen depending on the timing. Also go to dealinstore.com to pick up some great swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, hats, Mm -hmm. coasters, all sorts of great stuff. Whether you want to get 33% more Jill swag or need the Linux 91 swag, there's so much great stuff. Check it out at dealinstore. By the way, Michael,
2: by the way, we have to stop the show. I have to mention something. Okay. Guess what piece of merchandise you know because you were on the phone with me last night when we were going through it. But guess what piece of merchandise outsold every other piece of merchandise out there? Yes, it was my show. Uh, oh, it was no, Jill's. I,
1: I think it was Jill's.
2: So Jill, you outsold oh. every show on the entire <laughs> network. So many people bought all of your Jill stuff. It just shows how oh loved you are. Uh, I came oh in a close um 18th. But the point is, Jill, you were number one. Congratulations on selling the most merchandise. Period.
1: 33% more, Jill. Everybody seems to want that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Which is just awesome. (laughs) So if you want 33% more, Jill, go to dealinstore.com.
0: Oh. And make sure to check out all our amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the awesome DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud. Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and put your cowboy hats on and join our Saturday Linux user group, Linux Saloon. And everyone head to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. And everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination.
2: Thanks, everyone. See you next week.